0: of the risen Jesus that we'd want to actually share with somebody else. If all we have to offer our friends and neighbors is a mirror image of the exact same life they're living, except we're a little bit more tired on Sunday mornings because we take an hour and a half and go to church, what are we really offering these people? What do we really have to share? So friends, before we go any further, I just want to just ask, or maybe I'll just... uh, make a request, suggestion, that if your heart hasn't yet been made glad by an experience of the risen Jesus, to the extent that you want to share it with somebody, just tune out the rest of what I'm going to say today. Just leave it. And just instead, reflect on these last couple chapters of John before chapter 20, and see Jesus being wounded on your behalf for your sins and mine. See him rising again from the dead to bring you to new life. Reflect on that, meditate on it, and ask the Lord to give you an experience of gladness in your heart that would make you want to share with somebody else. I know many of you have had that experience and do feel gladness in your heart, even as we're talking about it this morning. So if that's you, let's press on together to the second section of this text, verses 21 through 23, in which Jesus says, I'm alive, now here's the mission. Look at uh, how he starts it out in verse 21. He says again, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So there's two sendings that Jesus is talking about here, right? He's talking on one hand about the Father sending him, the Son. That's the sending that happened right before Christmas when Jesus left heaven to come be one of us. And then he's also talking about the sending of him sending us, his disciples, into the world. And he's drawing some sort of connection in this verse between the two sendings. The question is, what is the nature of that connection between the Father's sending of the Son and the Son's sending of his disciples? And uh, actually, this is a debate that rages at seminaries all around the country, probably if you visited Trinity this week and just kind of eavesdropped on some conversations. You'd hear some seminary students at some point arguing about this. Um, To what extent can we use the Father's sending of the Son as an example or paradigm for our own sending and mission here on this earth? We don't wade into many of those discussions as a church, but this one's practical enough and has enough implications for us that we are going to wade into it for just a minute and ask the question, what does the Father's sending of the Son have to do with the Son's sending of us? Here are a couple ways that people suggest that it works out. Some say something like this. The two sendings are exactly the same in pretty much every way. Isn't that what the verse says? As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So this is kind of those in the missional movement today. They would lean towards saying something like this. Well, we can just look at how the Father sent the Son, and we just are sent the same way. But it should be clear, if you've read the New Testament, that The two sendings aren't exactly the same in every way. For example, the Father sent the Son to pay for sin, and we pay for nobody's sin. So there are some differences, at least. It can't be that. So others will then go to the other end of the spectrum and say something like this. Well, Jesus' sending is unique. The incarnation is unique. Only Jesus came from heaven to earth, uh, God becoming a man. And so that should never be used as a model for our ministry. Those are the more theologically conservative types that want to preserve the uniqueness of Jesus by going to that end of the spectrum. But it should be clear also that that doesn't really give proper weight to this text. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus himself is drawing some sort of connection between the Father sending the Son and the Son sending of his disciples, so that can't be it either. So it should be clear, hopefully at this point, that there has to be some continuity And some discontinuity between the two sendings. And we can use scripture to sort through what's similar and what's different. This won't be exhaustive, but just two quick charts to lay out some differences between the Father's sending of the Son and the Son's sending of his disciples. One difference is the purpose of the two. The Son was sent to pay for the sins of those for whom he was sent. Our purpose in our sending is to tell of the one who paid for sins. That's a difference. Another difference is the mode. Jesus was sent via virgin birth. We're sent when we experience the second birth, being born again, and we're commissioned by the risen Jesus to go into the world. So there are those differences, but there are also many similarities, which is what Jesus is talking about in this verse. As he says, as the Father is sending me, so I am sending you. Here are just four ways in which the two are similar. In John's gospel, Jesus is talked about as being not of this world. But in John's Gospel, we are also talked about as being not of this world. In John's Gospel, Jesus is sent into a world that was not his home. In John's Gospel, we are also sent into a world that was not our home. Scripture talks about Jesus leaving ease and comfort to embrace suffering. It also talks about us doing the same. And both of our sendings, both of our missions, really come back to obedience to the one who sent us and dependence on the one who sent us. We could talk about more similarities, but I think that some of this is what Jesus is getting at when he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. There are many similarities in the two sendings. And I don't think it's an accident that verse 22 comes after verse 21. Let's look at that in the text. Jesus has just given the mission in verse 21 and then he goes talking about the Holy Spirit in verse 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's an accident those two come together. You know, when I was reading this verse this week, though, I couldn't help but laugh thinking about an experience with my uh, one-year-old son this week. I got him up, well, he, he got up, and I went to the crib to get him out of his crib, and I was all excited, good morning, son. And I must have breathed on him because he just was standing up in his crib, and he just sat down and goes stinky and smelled my mind, and just tried to lay back down. Um, but Jesus breathes on his disciples, and apparently it wasn't an unpleasant experience. Um, instead, they get a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what they're going to experience a few weeks later when they receive the Holy Spirit. It's kind of an enacted parable. When Jesus breathes on them here, but here's what's coming. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And for those who may be less familiar with what the Holy Spirit is that we're talking about, the Holy Spirit is more than just Jesus' breath. The Holy Spirit is more than just an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person that we can have a relationship with. It's actually one of the persons of what we call the Trinity. The Trinity means that God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is also God. But yet, We say that there's one God, and we believe that with all of our hearts. And the role of God the Holy Spirit in our lives, whom these disciples would receive just weeks later and who we have access to as believers in Jesus, that Holy Spirit is our advocate and our comforter, the one that Jesus promised he would send after he left to accompany us on this mission. And so that's why I say I don't think it's an accident that this comes here. It has something to do with the mission that Jesus has just given. In other words, there must be something about this mission that Jesus is sending us on that will require the Holy Spirit. What is it about this mission that's going to be so daunting that we couldn't do it on our own? I think the answer is in verse 23, actually. Verse 23 is easy to misunderstand, so let me just give a summary of it, and then we'll read it and kind of dive more into it. I think what verse 23 is saying is that Part of our mission is that God will use us to confirm the destinies of humanity. Let's read it again, verse 23. Here's what Jesus says, If you, my disciples, forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Here's what that's not saying. It's not saying when I get cut off in traffic on the way home today... And I say, I'm not forgiving you, and it doesn't mean that that person will go to hell and not have their sin forgiven by God. I don't have that kind of power over anyone's salvation, and neither did the original disciples. That's not what this is talking about. What it is saying is that the mission that we've been sent on involves us proclaiming a two-part truth, proclaiming both forgiveness and non-forgiveness. We proclaim forgiveness to those who repent and believe in Jesus, but we also simultaneously uh, proclaim non-forgiveness to those who refuse to repent and believe in Jesus. And the message isn't the full message unless we are proclaiming both. And what Jesus is promising here is that as we proclaim forgiveness and non-forgiveness, God in heaven will make it so. He will forgive those who repent and believe, and he will withhold forgiveness from those who refuse to repent and believe. So it's something like this, the way the three verses in this little section go. Verse 21, Jesus is like, I'm sending you on a mission. Verse 22 is, you're going to need the Holy Spirit for this mission. And verse 23 is, well, the mission is to tell the world who will be forgiven and who won't be forgiven, right? And that's a reminder for us in terms of our mission priorities. This is a weekend in which we remember that we are to follow Jesus in doing justice and looking out for the vulnerable, and especially along racial lines, right? And you've heard me say many times, you know, I believe wholeheartedly that that is essential, non-negotiable, that if we're Christians, we have to be about those things. However, verse 23 is a reminder in the flow of this passage that Whatever mission we think we're doing, if it doesn't involve verbal proclamation with our mouths of forgiveness offered by God and non-forgiveness that will come to those who don't accept that forgiveness, then we aren't really fulfilling the mission. This is essential to the mission, that we'd be telling the world that some will be forgiven and some will not. And so it may make more sense now why in this passage... Jesus twice says to his disciples, peace be with you. They're going to need that. And they're going to need to be reminded of those words, peace be with you, because if this is the mission, it involves going out and telling the world, yes, some are going to be forgiven, but others are going to spend eternity in hell. That's not going to be popular. <laughs> we're going to experience some trouble along the way if we're serious about that mission. And as we experience that trouble, the words of Jesus, peace be with you, will be a comfort to us in our mission. So now we've seen the two parts of our text. He's really alive. Now here's the mission. and We need to reflect for a moment on how the two are connected. It's because of the first that the second is true. In other words, we would have no mission if Jesus were still in his grave. We'd have nothing to proclaim, right? Instead of bringing a person, a living person of Jesus, to our friends and neighbors and family members, those we love... All we would have is, at best, a series of nice principles to bring to them. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we would not have the Holy Spirit that he sent once he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. We'd be on our own trying to achieve whatever mission it was on our own strength. If Jesus was still in his grave, we would have a lot better things to do than this mission. We would probably just eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. If this life was all we had, why not just seek pleasure, our own selfish pleasure, to the fullest extent that we can here on earth? Praise God, Jesus isn't still in his grave. And our mission comes out of that, and that's why our big idea is just this. Because the risen Son has given us his spirit, let's go into the world as he was sent into the world. Because the risen Son has given us his spirit, Let's go into the world, as he was sent into the world. That was the call from our text today, and just like we did last week, I want to spend some time to close talking about what that might look like today, right where we are. So again, it's a two-pronged strategy. Last week, we talked about the inviting, the come and see, it was hospitality. This week, it's extending, and... What I want to emphasize here is that this isn't an either-or. Choose your own adventure. Whichever of these you want to do, do it. This is a both-and. And, of course, there's going to be seasons in life when you're doing more inviting than extending and other seasons in which you're doing more extending than inviting. But each of us is called to fulfill the commission in both of these ways, both inviting and extending. And the reason for that is that we have a God who is both a God of hospitality and a God of incarnation. I don't know if you've thought about that over these two weeks, but here's what I mean. Our God is a God of hospitality. After all, he has a house that he says has many rooms and that he is preparing a place for us in his home. After all, he's a God who has a forever family that he has invited us orphans to be adopted into. He's the God of hospitality par excellence. But at the same time, he's the God of incarnation. Because instead of staying up in heaven and polishing the gold streets and calling down to us from afar, come on up here with me, it's really great. He came down to walk amongst us, to care about the things that we care about, to experience the things that we experience. And When Jesus walked the earth, he talked about ordinary things like farming. He had fun at friends' weddings. He cried when friends died. He entered in, he had diapers changed. He entered into every aspect of our experience here on earth and showed himself to be the God, not only of hospitality, but also of incarnation. And so we, as his people, sent as he sent, need to be people who are about both of these things. And you can imagine how the two work together. I know some of you, the gears have been just turning in your mind the last two weeks, right? So if you were one of those who last week, It's like, yeah, I really want to have people into my home. That's a good idea, but I don't actually know if I have enough of a relationship with any unbelievers to invite them into my home. Maybe this week the call is go where they are. Go into the places where they are and make some of those relationships so you have people whose names you know, whose lives that you're involved in to the extent that you can have them into your home and let them see what it is that you're all about. But before we close out, I just need to give a picture, paint a concrete picture of what this could look like. Um, And I know no better picture of it, actually, than uh, my wife, Sarah. And so I just want to spend just a couple minutes just laying out what this looks like in her life and what I've seen in her over these last 10 and 11 years as she has um, embodied this like nobody I've ever known. So in 2013, we moved up here from Florida, and Sarah felt called to Glenbrook North High School. In Northbrook as her mission. 2,000 students, most of whom who had never heard the gospel to the extent that they could even know what it is that they were rejecting. And instead of starting by creating a Bible study and trying to make it really good and putting flyers in the hallways at the school and hoping people come, Sarah did what she has always done since I've known her, even back in Florida, is she just went to where people are at and met with them in what they already enjoyed doing. So, if you've been at an event, uh, a sporting event, or a play, or a concert at GBN over the past five years, you probably saw Sarah there, you know, cheering kids on, congratulating them afterwards. Is that because she just really loves watching girls' JV basketball games? No, it's because she knows Jesus— who came and showed interest in what she was interested in. And um, if your kids, some of you have had kids at GBN, and over the last few years, uh, they've had homecoming dances and turnabout and prom, and there's been Sarah showing up at their pictures beforehand and talking to them, telling them how good they look, and telling them, hey, I'll be available all night if you get in a bad situation and need somebody to call. Why does she do that? Is it because... She has nothing to do on a Saturday night better than uh, seeing whether the latest trends in high school fashion. No, it's because Jesus left the worship of angels 24 7 to come enter into uh, the places where we were and the things that we cared about. And, you know, until we had a kid, Sarah was coaching lacrosse at the high school. And every day after practice, there was pretty much. Uh, one of the girls on the team crying to Sarah on the field about drama in their life with their friend group or with a boyfriend. Did Sarah do that because she just really likes to be everybody's therapist? No. It's because Jesus left his comfort in heaven to enter into her mess. And so she wanted to do the same for these people. And what's been the result of all that after five, five and a half years? Well, A team of people has come around her and seen Sarah doing it and joined her in doing the same. And over the course of these five, five and a half years, literally, this isn't an exaggeration, hundreds of kids at GBN have heard the gospel, who otherwise it would have been very unlikely that they would have heard the gospel by the end of their high school careers. And many of them have been transformed by it. Lives will never be the same. They've met Jesus and accepted him and surrendered to his lordship, and their whole lives will be different. But imagine... Imagine if Sarah just would have been content to sit on our couch and write Bible studies and hope that people came. I think about that a lot. Now, you may say, that's youth ministry. That's cool. That works for that. I'm not in youth ministry. My friends are adults. It doesn't work that way. Doesn't it? I could tell you lots of stories of churches around the country that are doing just what I just described, but with adults, it's only the specific events and situations that change, right? So I get excited about, and I'm dreaming about, and I'm praying for this, that some adult in our church, maybe many, in the various towns that are represented here, would get a fire lit in their soul to do something like this. If they're a Deerfield resident, for example, go on the Parks Department website. Go on the library website, go on the school district website. Take a look at some of the big events that are coming up in the community in the coming months. Then get the contact information from us of all the people at North Sub who live in Deerfield. And reach out to us by email or start a, you know, use a group messaging app and say, hey, here are some things that are going on. What if we all did it together? And then you start to mobilize us. You start a little bit of a movement in Deerfield in which the people of North Sub who live in Deerfield turn Deerfield upside down. Because when Deerfield has uh, a campout, family campout at the baseball field, four or five North Sub families show up with their tents, and they pray together first, and then they spend that whole evening trying to reach and meet and get to know some neighbors whom they can love and enter into a relationship with. Uh, maybe some people from Deerfield would go grocery shopping at the same times and at the same places and pray up first and try to be intentional about having conversations at the grocery store. Maybe we'd take our kids to story time at the library at the same time, on and on and on. What if somebody found a passion to mobilize us in Deerfield to do that? And then there was another one in Highland Park who had that same passion and someone in Northbrook and someone in Glenview and someone in Newtree Township and someone in Buffalo Grove and what if Something like that started. We just keep doing the things we're already doing. We already shop for groceries. We already try to get our kids out of the house on a day where it's raining. We already do all those things. What if we started doing them together and with the intentionality of being on mission? I dream about that. I get excited about that. What could God do with that? Friends, the time is up for sitting back and hoping that if we put together a good enough product within these doors that people will come in. They're not coming. We've got to go out. Praise God that he didn't uh, leave us without a roadmap, map and that he doesn't leave us to do it alone. Let's pray.